From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Wade Menezes. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Tuesday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Father Wade Menezes is in a house. We'll find out which house in a moment. And he's ready to take your phone calls. So pick up the phone and give us a call at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is 1-205-271-2985, and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line. If you uh, would like to send us an email, you can do that by sending us an email to openline at EWTN.com. And uh, I think that's about all the ways that you can reach us currently. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, spinning the dials behind the glass, producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky and Jeff Burson handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, as he is every single Tuesday, working out his three-year-old, getting ready for the first Saturday in May at Churchill Downs, is Father Wade Menezes. How are you? (laughs) There you go. How you doing, Jack? I'm doing fantastic. During this second week of Easter, uh, I am here at the Dominican Friars Parish of St. Louis Bertrand in downtown Louisville, Kentucky, right in the heart of the downtown area. And I'm broadcasting today from the St. Louis Bertrand Priory. So a shout out to Father Martin, uh, the prior, and Father Bernard Timothy, the sub-prior and the pastor of the parish, and uh, therefore Confrere Station here with them. Father Pierre Giorgio, Father Anthony, and Father Ambrose, and Father John Bass. So uh, hello to all six of them and a shout out to them. And another shout out to a a family that I've known for years, as long as I've been in the Fathers of Mercy, I believe, uh, the Kinney family. And let me tell you, Jack, there are a lot of Kinneys (laughs) and it's a huge uh, extended family. So a shout out to them. I I would go all the way to the bottom of the hour break if I said all of their names. So we'll just... (laughs) my, My wife, Johnette, used to work for them. Oh, there you go. All right. And their, their shoe stores around the country. Okay, okay. Well, I don't know if that's the same Kenny's or not, but but, uh, but a shout out to all of them. And uh, it's great being here this week, and it's a three-night mission Monday through Wednesday, but it actually kicked off, we like to say, at our Divine Mercy celebration this past Sunday at 3 o'clock. And uh, so that had a nice crowd, and a nice crowd last night at the opening night of the mission. So we thank uh, all of those who came out last night, as well as to the Divine Mercy service. And if you're listening right now, uh, you Louisvilleites, uh, to the live show right now this hour, and you were at the parish mission last night or at the Divine Mercy uh, service or any of the masses over the course of the weekend, give us a call here at Open Line today and uh, ask us a question. We'd love to hear from some St. Louis Bertrand uh, parish uh, parishioners, so feel free to call in. And what do we Uh, do in honor of you being in a Dominican parish? We talk about St. Augustine. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, don't please don't tell the six uh, the six uh, priests that are here, Dominican priests that are here. But yes, I want to talk about Saint Augustine and a great, great 
fantastic, in fact, short reading that he gives us regarding Easter and the two periods of time. It's from a discourse on the Psalms by St. Augustine, bishop and doctor of the church, and he says this, quote, because there are two periods of time, the one that now is beset with trials and troubles of this life, and the other yet to come, a life of everlasting serenity and joy, we are given two liturgical seasons, one before Easter and the other after Easter. The season before Easter signifies the troubles in which we live here and now, while the time after Easter, which we are celebrating at present, signifies the happiness that will be ours in the future. We are commemorating before Easter right now what we commemorate now. Before Easter is what we currently experience in this life. What we celebrate after Easter points to something we do not yet possess. This is why we keep the first season with fasting and prayer, but now the fast is over, and we devote the present season to praise. Such is the meaning of the Alleluia we sing. Both of these periods, before Easter and after Easter, are represented and demonstrated for us in Christ our head. The Lord's passion itself depicts for us our present life of trial, shows how we must suffer and be afflicted and finally die. The Lord's resurrection and glorification, however, show us the life that will be given to us in the future. Now, therefore, brethren, St. Augustine says, we urge you to praise God. That is what we are telling each other every time we say, Alleluia. So what a great passage from St. Augustine's uh, discourse on the Psalms regarding Easter and the two periods of time, that is before Easter and after Easter, and how they have a lived experience. And of course, he's talking about ultimately the time after the second coming, the great parousia for the saved. Again, because there are two periods of time, the one that now is beset with the trials and troubles of this life, and the other yet to come, a life of everlasting serenity and joy, we are given two liturgical seasons one before Easter and the other after. And again, the season before Easter signifies those troubles in which we live here and now, while the time after Easter, which we are celebrating at present, signifies the happiness that will be ours in the future. In other words, what we commemorate before Easter is what we currently experience in this life, wounded by sin and the fall of our first parents. But what we celebrate after Easter points to something we do not yet possess, precisely because the great parousia, the second coming of Christ, is not yet taking place. Huh? This is why we keep the first season with fasting and prayer, but now that the fast is over, precisely because Easter has been celebrated, we devote the present season to praise, and such is the meaning of our Alleluia. A couple points here, Jack, on a, a note, we could say, of how to keep Easter joy alive throughout the year, and just about six or seven points or so. If I don't finish them, we can finish them up when we come back from the break. You know, Easter Sunday celebrates Jesus' victory over death, of course, over sin and over Satan. Uh, it is the most important event in human history, literally, not metaphorically. Uh, this joy that Easter inspires can't be contained to just one day. So Holy Mother Church, the Bride of Christ, gives us a whole 50-day liturgical season to celebrate it, right? And here are some ideas to prolong the joy of Easter during this 50-day uh, uh, period. Keep on, maybe, with a Lenten practice. I know that sounds kind of odd at first, but listen to this. Keep on with a Lenten practice that helped you grow closer to God during Lent. Maybe it was some small sacrifice to honor uh, his supreme sacrifice. Another example, maybe you can attend an extra Mass during the week or perform an act of charity 
to share God's love with another. Because you grew through that practice during Lent, keep it going during the Easter season, whatever that practice was, that Lenten practice was. Number two, uh, decorate your house. Celebrate the victory of Christ won for you in your very own home. Display an image of the risen Christ in your home. Decorate crucifixes or statues with white sashes. Huh? Uh, put out bouquets of flowers, symbolic of the garden cemetery in which Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, place an Easter resurrection-themed wreath on your front door, or a similarly themed garden flag in your front yard. Uh, put a white tablecloth on your dining room table with a gold runner, and place a miniature Easter Paschal candle as the centerpiece of the table throughout the entire Easter season. Uh, these things are, are easily found uh, uh, online at different Catholic goods uh, providers, different Catholic books and goods stores, including EWTNRC.com. Uh, number three, proclaim the good news, right? Mary Magdalene was the first to share the news of Christ's resurrection. You can share it too by wearing a cross or a crucifix, by praying grace in your home and in public, both before and after meals, and talking about God's grace to others and imitating his forgiveness towards others. And speaking of crucifixes, why do Catholics display crucifixes even during the Easter season? Well, I'll tell you why. We Catholics display the crucifix because it reminds us of Jesus' supreme sacrifice, his supreme victory, and his supreme love for each and every one of us. Uh, I want to look at each one of these right now, his supreme sacrifice, his supreme victory, and his supreme love. But before I go into those three, maybe after the break, I want to say this up front. We can also say that looking at a crucifix with our Lord on it is like looking at a wedding portrait. Why? Because it's a picture of a covenant. It's a picture of a commitment. It's a picture of radical self-giving and radical self-sacrifice for the other. And this is why I like to say, as does my confer, Father Ricardo Pineda, he alluded to this during his uh, Holy Thursday evening uh, Mass of the Lord's Supper homily, that we can say that looking at a crucifix with our Lord on it is like looking at a wedding portrait. Why? Because it's a picture of a covenant it's a picture of a commitment, and it's a picture of radical self-giving and self-sacrifice for the other in a covenant relationship. So we'll talk about uh, his supreme sacrifice, his supreme victory, and his supreme love, and how the crucifix itself reminds us of those three realities when we come back from the break. And I want to hear from some, from some St. Louis Bertrand parishioners this hour live. Pick up the phone and give us a call at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. It's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. Brand new book from EWTN Publishing this month, For Eternity, Restoring the Priesthood and Our Spiritual Fatherhood by Robert Cardinal Seurat. We have to look at the truth head on. The priesthood seems to be failing, explains Cardinal Seurat in this book. 
Cardinal Saraz collected the writings of the greatest saints to help priests rediscover the essence of their priesthood so the people of God can renew their gaze upon them for eternity, restoring the priesthood and our spiritual fatherhood by Robert Cardinal Seurat, a new book available from EWTN Publishing. Uh, just log on to EWTNRC.com. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. Grab one of these open phone lines at 833-288-3986. First up today is Fred, not from St. Louis Bertrand Parish in Louisville, Kentucky, but from St. Louis, Missouri, at least, uh, listening on Covenant Radio. Fred, you are on with Father Wade. Hi. Thank you very much for taking my call. I, by the way, my, my question was regarding uh, a statue of a blessed, so a, a beatified individual. Can those statues be in the sanctuary, or is the sanctuary specifically just for a, a canonized uh, saint? To my knowledge, they can be in the sanctuary for special events like their beatification anniversary. Um, if the Mass is held, uh, let's say the beatification is in Rome, but the mother house uh, it has several locations uh, of a mother house and a daughter house in the United States, and the sisters who couldn't make it to Rome uh, are celebrating at the mother house chapel. Yes, the, the statue can be in the sanctuary for the beatification day for special anniversaries, the annual anniversary of, of birth, death, and um, uh, beatification. But beyond that, it should be in another part of the church. But for special occasions, it can be moved into the sanctuary. Great question. Great question. Thanks for I remember the beatified are on their way to, to heaven. And so we, we are, excuse me, they're on their way to being canonized. Um, and so uh, we rejoice in that fact precisely through the beatification that they are on their way and that a miracle has been uh, chosen. Uh, it, it, it's been researched. It's been uh, chosen by experts and ultimately by the church uh, to say that this person can be beatified and that this miracle was truly a miracle. Thanks, Fred. We appreciate the phone call. That opens up a line for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. And you're going to now, uh, as promised, uh, tell us what gazing upon a crucifix should remind us of. Yeah, uh, God's supreme sacrifice, his supreme victory, and his supreme love for us. Uh, through uh, the second person, the incarnate God-man Jesus Christ, dying on the cross for us. So when we say his supreme sacrifice, Jack, we have to realize Jesus willingly sacrificed himself for us on the cross, huh? At every Mass, the moment of Jesus' sacrifice is made mysteriously present again in the sacrifice of the Eucharist in an unbloody manner. And the crucifix indicates that the sacrifice of the cross and the Mass are one and the same sacrifice. Uh, his supreme victory, the crucifix may look like defeat, but in fact, it's a sign of victory, right? Uh, Jesus' sacrifice reconciled us with God, reopened heaven to us, and broke the grip of death and death over us. Jesus took on death, sin, and evil, and rose again in triumph from the dead. And thirdly, his supreme love, uh, the Gospel of St. John, especially uh, chapter 15, verse 13, tells us, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. The crucifix reveals how precious we are to God and brings this passage from Scripture 
uh, to a point of incarnation for us because we can see that Jesus died for us. Again, no greater love has any man than this than to lay down his life for his friends. The crucifix reveals how precious we are to God, right? Uh, Jesus taught us that true love seeks the good of the other. And Jesus put our good first, and he endured uh, the crucifixion so we can be with him forever in heaven. And so uh, these are, are three realities, his supreme sacrifice, his supreme victory, and his supreme love. And these three uh, stem from the fact of, of these points on, on how to keep Easter joy alive throughout the year, but especially throughout the 50-day Easter season. Um, again, keeping on with the Lenten practice, uh, decorating one's house for the Easter season, proclaiming the good news, uh, and, and realizing the beauty of, of the reality of the crucifix. Again, Mary Magdalene was the first to share the news of Christ's resurrection, and you can share it too by wearing a cross or, or a crucifix, by praying grace in your home, in public, both before and after meals, as I said earlier before the break, and talking about God's grace to others and imitating his forgiveness toward others. Uh, I've seen many, many individuals wearing um, the crucifix uh, outside their shirt or their blouse or, or their their top garment, and it has uh, embedded behind it the beautiful and wonderful St. Benedict medal, uh, which has a special prayer of exorcism attached to it uh, to ward off evil. Uh, so that's one thing you can do. Those are easily and readily found at, at uh, different Catholic bookstores and so forth. So there's many things we can do, my friends, to keep Easter joy alive throughout the entire liturgical year in all of its varied and multi-seasons, uh, but especially during the 50-day Easter season. Uh, next week, I'm hoping to talk about how we can treat Sunday in a special way and what we're called, how we're called to treat Sundays, because every Sunday is a holy day of obligation. Why? Because every Sunday is a quote-unquote little Easter. And so next week, we'll kind of springboard from this week's topic as to why uh, every Sunday uh, is, is a little Easter and why every Sunday is a holy day of obligation. And uh, thirdly, how we are called as Catholics to treat Sundays. I'll give you a hint uh, right now about next week's springboard topic and what Sunday's all about. It's about four main categories, worship, rest, joy, and charity. Worship, rest, joy, and charity. Those are the four categories that, that our worship and, and treatment on Sundays and of Sundays uh, is meant to bring to the fore of our lives, is those four categories of worship, rest, joy, and charity. And that's right out of the universal catechism of the Catholic Church. Wide open phone lines for you on this Tuesday. The number is 833-288-EWTN. It's a free phone call anywhere in the United States and Canada, so pick up the phone and give us a call at 833-288-3986. A unique opportunity for an extended commercial for the Fathers of Mercy. Uh, if, uh, if someone out there listening is a, a gentleman from a single gentleman from the ages of 18 to 40, and they've often wondered, what would it be like to be an itinerant missionary preacher? What would you say to them, Father Wade? Well, that's a great question, because I'm preaching a parish mission this week here at St. Louis Bertrand in Louisville. What is a parish mission like, or what even is it, right? Uh, it's a fantastic opportunity for the people of the parish and surrounding community to come together for a five-night presentation 
on a particular theme or topic of Catholic teaching. This week here at St. Louis Bertrand Parish in Louisville, it's Work Out Your Salvation, The Theology of Faithfulness to Daily Duty, my newest series, currently airing on EWTN on Saturday evenings for a half hour each episode, uh, 6.30 to 7 p.m. Eastern Time. We're making the DVD available this week here at St. Louis Bertrand. Uh, Pope St. John Paul II, Jack, he once said that for the periodical renewal of a parish, nothing beats a parish mission. Uh, with daily Eucharistic adoration, ample, ample opportunity for confession, and a solemn closing Mass on the last night. We're offering confessions three times a week uh, here at the, at, during the parish mission here at St. Louis Bertrand. Uh, a parish mission is just a great opportunity overall for both individual and thus parish-wide renewal. It provides a wonderful opportunity for parish-wide strengthening, of the church's teaching. And, and what are some of the signs of a Fathers of Mercy vocation? Well, we Fathers of Mercy are looking for good, solid Catholic men who are unabashedly in love with our Lord Jesus Christ and His Bride, the Church, men who want to carry out this apostolate of, of itinerant, that is, traveling missionary preaching, men who want to help transform a veritable culture of death into a culture of life and love, by showing and giving it the mercy of God, which it needs so, so badly. We seek virtuous men for the Fathers of Mercy, men who, despite their own failings, have experienced the mercy of God themselves, and so are able to give that great gift to others. Men who want to live joyfully the evangelical counsels of poverty, chastity, and obedience in community with fellow confreres, all the while living and sharing a common life of prayer, work, and fraternities. So uh, go to fathersofmercy.com if you're 18 to 40 years of age and contemplating an active uh, apostolate vocation as a priest or as a permanent deacon. We also have permanent, can take permanent deacons in the Fathers of Mercy. Uh, our constitutions permit that. We don't have a permanent brotherhood, however, because of the very nature of the preaching apostolate. And of course, deacons can preach. So we're one of the few orders in the church of pontifical right, uh, the highest level of, of, of orders in the church that uh, have a, a, a priesthood uh, and also permit a permanent diaconate, because deacons, again, can preach, right? A deacon could preach a parish mission, a retreat, a, a conference, uh, any event that we do, but we do not uh, have a permanent brotherhood because of, of the preaching apostolate. Uh, and so uh, go to fathersofmercy.com or email our vocation director, Father Ken Geraci at vocations at fathersofmercy.com. That's the word vocation uh, with um, uh, S at the end of it, vocations at fathersofmercy.com, and contact our vocation director, Father Ken Geraci. Uh, first up today is Lorraine, a first-time caller in the great state of Florida, and she's listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Lorraine, you're on with Father Wade. Yes, hi, Father Wade. I'm calling about going uh, on Sunday, keeping it a day of rest. I do go to church in the morning, but I Yeah, we've got a, a little problem with your phone there, Lorraine. I hope you can hear the uh, the radio on Sirius XM 130 loud and clear there. So really, Lorraine is saying on Sunday she goes to Mass, but she kind of, with in keeping with the Sabbath, if it's okay for her to play golf. Uh, it certainly is. It certainly is fine to play golf on Saturday. You know, uh, last night I talked about St. Thomas Aquinas' teaching at the parish mission that we're called to a daily balance 
daily, he puts that adjective in there, a daily balance of prayer, work, and recreation. I've said this before on Open Line Tuesday, precisely because we're a, 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 a body-soul composite. Uh, we don't have bodies, we are bodies. We don't have souls, we are souls. Uh, so intricate is this reality of the body-soul composite person of the, of the human person that we can say that where the angels are non-embodied spirits, the human person is an embodied spirit, right? What do you think of that? That's pretty powerful. So precisely because the body and soul uh, are so intricately connected, St. Thomas says we're not meant to pray constantly because it will fatigue the soul. We're not meant to work constantly because it will fatigue the body. And so uh, we're also not meant to work, uh, to recreate or leisure constantly because we run the risk of leading ourselves into many vices, namely sloth and buffoonery. So we need a, a balance of all three, and you can have that leisure and recreation, Lorraine, by golfing on Saturdays. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. We'd like to congratulate our great EWTN radio partner in Hotlanta, Georgia. AM 12, 1160, excuse me, AM 1160, The Quest, celebrates five years with EWTN radio. Congratulations to Carol Tearsmith and her great team at The Quest from all of us here at EWTN Radio. They grow up so fast. It seems like last week I was having lunch with Carol in Atlanta talking about the possibility of getting a radio station going in Atlanta. And Lord have mercy, you you blink an eye and five years later they're doing the work of the Lord over the airwaves. We've that's got awesome. wide open phone lines for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. And I know you've got a, a couple of uh, pieces of Easter-related material here, Father, but before we get to those, I've got an, uh, an email here from Alistair in Bangalore, India who writes to you and says, Hello, Father. Some time ago, you had said the church has always used the good thief on the cross as proof of a plenary indulgence. Can you repeat what you said? Sure. Well, what I would have said, I believe, is that the good thief, when Jesus tells him, I tell you solemnly, this day you will be with me in paradise, it's the scripture passage that the church uses in her teaching on indulgences to defend the doctrine of indulgences. So uh, a plenary indulgence is a complete wiping away of the temporal punishment due for already forgiven mortal and venial sin. Okay, uh, And the plenary indulgence wipes away that temporal punishment. So when we confess sins, either mortal or venial in confession, and we receive absolution, the words of absolution forgive us of the guilt of the sin mortal or venial. Uh, But the temporal punishment still remains. Why? Because sin is messy, and we have the four categorical consequences of personal sin uh, talked about in number 1469 of the Catechism. What are those four categorical consequences uh, that are the reason as to why temporal punishment remains even after we receive absolution? They're personal, social, ecclesial, and cosmic, okay? So temporal punishment remains, and so we can do many, many things to help 
uh, atone for the temporal punishment due to already forgiven mortal and venial sin. For example, the doctrine of indulgences in self, itself, both plenary and partial, huh? Uh, the penitential rite at the beginning of Mass uh, to help us atone for uh, even the sacred liturgy itself, w- worshiping God at the sacred liturgy, the source and summit, the celebration of the Most Holy Eucharist, is a way we can do it. Embracing suffering. Um, I've said many times before, uh, carrying out good works, for example, the 14 works of mercy, the three eminent good works, uh, prayer, fasting, almsgiving, not for the works themselves, not for the works themselves, but for the charity they help foster from one human being to another human being because we're social by nature. Jesus gave us the Our Father in the first person plural. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, huh? Uh, and, and also uh, in the book of Genesis, we know that it is not good that man be alone. So God made him a complementary helpmate, right? So we're social by nature. So this is why good works are important. So the 14 works of mercy, carrying them out with a particular willed intention uh, to atone for temporal punishment uh, for already forgiven mortal and venial sin. So when Jesus tells the good thief, I tell you solemnly, you will be with me this day in paradise, he effectually effectually wiped away any and all temporal punishment for any sin forgiven that that thief had, all, had committed that remained after his forgiveness for it. Because nothing impure can enter heaven. No soul with temporal punishment still owed on it can enter heaven. This is why we have the reality of the very doctrine of purgatory, both Old and New Testament quotes that allude to this chasm between a suffering state and a state of perfect bliss and happiness, right? Uh, including the Gospels, Jesus' own parables, uh, the, the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, for example, let alone Second Maccabees and whatnot. So, but when Jesus tells the good thief, I tell you solemnly, this day you will be with me in paradise, um, we, we know that Holy Mother Church uses that as a doctrine, as a, a scriptural passage to defend the doctrine of indulgences. So great, great question, especially during this time of Easter celebration. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. And Father, you had a, a couple of other Easter-related topics you wanted to cover. Yeah, so the fifth and final point of our five-point plan to work out our salvation that I'm presenting to the mission attendees this week, Jack, here in Louisville, uh, is titled, Live a Trinitarian Spirituality. Offer everything daily to the Father, through the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the same formula, for example, as the Collect Prayer at every Mass we attend. The Collect Prayer, the so-called opening prayer of the Mass after the penitential rite, whether it's a weekday Mass or a Sunday Mass, is always directed or ordered to the Father, through the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we, we meld our entire lives, the prayer, the work, the recreation, and the, the balance thereof of those three areas that I talked about before the last break taught by St. Thomas Aquinas. We want to direct our prayer work and our recreation to the Father, through the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So here's a few quotes on the Most Holy Trinity during this Easter season that I'm going to share uh, on the last night of the mission that I think are very appropriate as we talk about the Easter season and why it's so important to carry this on during these three, uh, these 50 days. And then next week I'll talk about why Sunday uh, is so important in those four categories. But some saints' analogies regarding the Most Holy Trinity— uh, the triune Godhead, one and three, yet three and one. You know, three persons in one God, one God and three divine persons. St. Patrick, he says, quote, the Trinity is like a three-leaf clover. Three leaves, yet one clover. 
St. Ignatius of Loyola says the Trinity is like three musical notes that form one harmonious sound. How beautiful is that? And a Catholic scientist once said, uh, he's quoted as describing the Blessed Trinity as follows. He says, like water, which although is one substance, can be found in three forms, as a gas, steam, as a solid, ice, or as a liquid, H2O. And St. Catherine of Siena says, O eternal Trinity, you are a mystery as deep as the sea. The more I search, the more I find, the more I find, the more I search for you, but I will never be satisfied. What I receive from you will ever leave me desiring even more. Because it is an inexhaustible mystery, the mystery of the Most Holy Trinity. Three divine persons in one God, one God and three divine persons. Jesus revealed it. The Father revealed it at Jesus' transfiguration and his baptism, for example. We know that the Holy Spirit was sent uh, upon the apostles and the Blessed Mother in the upper room 50 days after the resurrection. So we know our, our Trinitarian God is a revealed God. We know that for doctrinal fact. But it is still an inexhaustible mystery, right? And this is what Catherine of Siena is getting at. And St. Terribius of Montenegro, don't you love that name, Jack? Uh, St. Terribius of Montenegro, uh, early 17th century saint, he says, God is the infinitely perfect being who is the most holy trinity. I love that quote. Uh, God is the infinitely perfect being who is the most holy trinity. So if someone asks me, a non-Catholic, a non-Christian, a fellow Catholic, hey, Father Wade, for you, who is God? Who, who is God for you, Father Wade? I would give them that quote. God, for me, is the infinitely perfect being who is the most holy trinity. And hopefully I would give St. Terebius credit for that quote. <laughs> and St. Ioannicus, religious from the ninth century, he says, my hope is in the Father, my refuge is in the Son, and my shelter is the Holy Spirit. O triune Godhead, O most holy Trinity, glory to you forever. Amen. Just, I just love these different quotes on the most holy, holy Trinity and the Trinitarian doctrine, especially during this 50-day Easter season, which calls us to focus through the resurrection of Christ on the reality of the Trinity in a special way. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. We head next to the Republic of Texas. Melissa is in Dallas listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Melissa, thanks so much for holding. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Father. I really appreciate it, and I need your help today. Okay, Melissa, hopefully I can help you. (laughs) Okay, well, it's a doozy, and I'm sure I'm not the only one um, who is going through this. Um, I got annulled, uh, my last marriage annulled, um, two years ago before I got remarried. So I went through the entire process, very honest. And my marriage was, um, it said it was invalid um, because I got married outside of the church, even though we were both Catholic. So fast forward, um, I was talking with my priest yesterday, and I said I just went to a Jesuit retreat, and it was a beautiful silent women's retreat. And then we were talking, and, and he asked me about, you know, we got on the topic of my husband, and I said, he's not Catholic, but he was a baptized Lutheran. And he said, so he's not Catholic. Where did you get married? And I said, we got married at a vineyard down the street. And he said, so you didn't get married in a Catholic church? And I said, no. And he said, well, you're still married. You, you married a married man. And I said, what? He said, 
sacramentally, in the eyes of the Church, he is still married. He needs to get an annulment from the Catholic Church before you two can actually get married in the Catholic Church, and I have to ask you not to take communion. So, Melissa, let me let me step in real quick for a second here because I think you may have left out a key piece of information here. Was the gentleman you're currently married to was he married previously? Because you didn't mention that. Yes, and he was divorced. There you go. Okay, thank you. Okay, yeah, I I understand the case as you presented, Melissa. Let me ask you something first. Simple yes or no is all I want. Your first husband was Catholic. Yes or no? Yes. You are Catholic. Yes or no? Yes. And the two of you married, I'm referring to your first husband, both of you Catholic, but both of you married outside the church. Yes or no? Yes. Okay, so that's an, that was an invalid marriage. Okay, so uh, you did not need to get an annulment from him because it wasn't in the church. Then you contracted a civil marriage in a vineyard with this second man who you knew was Lutheran. Yes or no? Yes. Didn't you know then, though, that it would also be an invalid marriage by virtue of the fact that the second one as well wasn't in the Church? Didn't that concern you? No, because when I asked about that, it was, well, show me his baptismal certificate. He's still a Christian in the eyes of the Church. Even though he wasn't baptized as a Catholic, he's still Christian. And somebody in the Catholic Church gave you that advice that you thus would not need to marry him in the Catholic Church? Was that somebody in the church or somebody non-Catholic who gave you that advice? In the church. Okay, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, so okay. So here's the thing. As long as the two of you are living as though brother and sister without relations, you are able to receive the two of the seven sacraments that we are called to receive over and over again with much frequency because they sustain us in life. That's regular confession and regular communion all the while trying to get your marriage sacramental in the church, okay? So the the person at the Jesuit retreat house that weekend, I don't know if it was one of your fellow ladies that you were on retreat with, or if it was a Jesuit priest, I I didn't get that from you, but whoever it was during that weekend retreat did give you correct information. So your husband, in the eyes of our Lord Jesus Christ and his bride, the church, your husband is still married to that first person until it's proven otherwise that it was never valid in God's eyes. And your husband has a right to present that case, okay? And should the church, the Catholic church, not the Lutheran church, should the Catholic church uh, deem that that was the case, then he's free of the bond to marry you, and then the two of you can get married in the church. Otherwise, that person at the retreat that weekend was correct. You, you should not receive uh, Holy Communion uh, if the marriage is active with the conjugal embrace. You should not receive communion because in the eyes of our Lord Jesus Christ and his bride, the Church, he, he is not your sacramental, valid husband. The Church esteems marriage. The Church will go to bat for marriage especially in a day and age when marriage is so viciously, viciously attacked, uh, namely in its, in its six uh, unnatural forms uh, that go against natural law. And I've talked about those six various forms before on previous shows of, of uh, Open Line Tuesday. Uh, the Church esteems all the sacraments. I like to tell my listeners, you know, the sacraments aren't lollipops. 
They're not handed out at will and freely. Each sacrament requires remote or at least proximate preparation before it can be received. So for example, the parents that want to have their new baby baptized, they have a baptismal course they go to. The, the young man and young woman who have never been married, who are getting married, uh, he's proposed to her, she's accepted the proposal. They have you know six months to a year of marriage prep, usually a class a month preparing for marriage. Uh, the 10th grade confirmation class has their confirmation class before they're confirmed. Uh, a priest has anywhere from five eight, nine years even, depending on whether it's religious order priesthood or diocesan priesthood, uh, five to eight or nine years, even longer, for example, with the Jesuits, before they're ordained a priest. So each sacrament requires remote or at least proximate preparation before it can be received. The great news here, uh, Melissa, is that it sounds like you, you want to imbue the truth in your life. You want to afford yourself as to the optimum, the sacramental graces that Holy Mother Church, the Bride of Christ, which we know by her four marks, one holy Catholic and apostolic, can afford you through her sacramental economy. So you can receive Eucharist and confession if you're living without the conjugal embrace. If you believe and he believes that you're not at that level yet to refrain from that yet, then you would need to refrain from confession and communion, uh, but you can still work on getting uh, the, the marriage in the church, your and his marriage in the church. So what I would recommend you do are, are simple. Yes or no. Are, do you worship at a regular parish? Yes. Okay. I would see the pastor of that parish, the pastor himself, not the associate, not the DRE director of religious ed, the pastor himself, even if he says during the meeting, Oh, well, well, my, my, my marriage cases are handled through my permanent deacon who's assigned here with me. Okay, well, that's fine, Father, and I appreciate that, and I will see him from here on out. But I wanted you, Father, as the pastor, my juridical pastor, I wanted you to hear my case first so that I know that I'm that exactly what it is I need to do. And now that you've told me to see your permanent deacon, and this is just a hypothetical example that I'm giving you, Melissa. Now that you've told me, Father, to, to see the permanent deacon assigned to the parish who handles all marriage cases, because quite often a, a married permanent deacon assigned to a parish is the one who handles the marriage cases for the pastor. The pastor still has to sign on off on the paperwork, but the married deacon is the one who prepares the couple to get their marriage regularized in the church, to get it sacramental, the church, etc. But at the very, very beginning here, the very dawn of all of this, Melissa, I would ask to see the pastor of your parish first. Present your case to him regarding both marriages and what you understand you need to do now, and you want to do it, and you want to cooperate to have it done. And, and I would really encourage you, because you're showing tremendous goodwill, you're showing tremendous insight of wanting to live uh, your, your one holy Catholic and apostolic faith of baptism, that you received at some point in your life. You, you're showing goodwill and good intention to want to live your, your Catholic faith of baptism. And I hope that your current civil husband, uh, the Lutheran gentleman, I, I hope that he will support you in this. And, and who knows, it can one day lead to him wanting to convert too, and both of you receiving uh, the Eucharist side by side uh, during the sacred liturgy. And I, I pray that for you both. Does that help you out, Melissa? Yes, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I, I feel like I'm in the grieving process because I just had no idea. Um, I'm, I guess well, maybe the other people too. Well, if I can give you uh, a piece of meditation, go back and listen to my springboard from St. Augustine. 
the first uh, nine or ten minutes of the show uh, regarding Easter and the two periods of time. The one before Easter is a time of trial. It is a time of grieving, a time of suffering. But the second period is the period after Easter. It's a foreshadowing of our life in heaven following the second coming of Christ. And that's the season we're in right now, celebrating that foretaste during this 50-day Easter season where you've received this news about how to get your marriage regularized. And so there's always, always hope. Remember, there's three theological virtues, faith, hope, and charity. We pray for an increase of those at the beginning of our rosary. In every rosary we, pl we pray, right? For an increase of faith, hope, and charity. I like to word it this way at the beginning of the rosary. For continued growth, for continued growth in the three theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity. So we have the virtue of hope, Melissa, and hang on to that hope, especially during this 50-day Easter season, which foreshadows for us the great salvation period that awaits us following the second coming of Christ, and work slowly but surely on getting your marriage regularized. And I, I truly, truly hope your current civil husband will help you and support you in this and invite him to listen to this podcast, the full hour of it. I want him to hear the springboard too, and that the two of you will work together to uh, get regularized in the church. I like to, to joke that our Lutheran brethren are our first cousins, and they're not far from being fully reunified with the chair of Peter uh, under the, 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 the one true bride of Christ, the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And remember, Vatican II says that our Protestant brothers and sisters do share in elements of the, of, the, of the truth. This is why we call them ecclesial communities. Ecclesial communities. They are church communities because they are tied to the one true church that we know by her four marks, one holy, Catholic, and apostolic, right words right from the creed. So invite your current husband to, to uh, civil husband, to listen to this podcast so that he can also uh, have his intellect enlightened to the full picture of this situation. And hopefully this will guide him to support you in getting your marriage in the church. Whether or not he converts, that's secondary, but primary, Melissa, that he will support you in this. Okay, does that help you out? Yes, thank you. Awesome. Oh, okay, Melissa, yep. God bless you. Yeah, thank Melissa, you. Melissa, you, uh, you can find the podcast of the show. It'll be up in about an hour or two, and you can find that at EWTN.com slash radio. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. All day Thursday, EWTN Radio commemorates the 100th anniversary of Mother Angelica's birth, and at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, we'll take you to Rome for a special Mass celebrated by Bishop Stephen Reka of the Diocese of Birmingham in Alabama, commemorating the 100th anniversary of Mother's birth. That's this Thursday right here on EWTN Radio. Next up is Eleanor, a first-time caller in the great state of Missouri, and she is listening on Covenant Radio. Eleanor, you're on with Father Wade. Yes, hello. I've just got a question that's been... I just don't understand it. Uh, you know, uh, the, all the other churches besides the Catholic, they don't have Jesus on the cross. Now, personally, what I think is he needs to be there. People need to see him. You know, they don't need to see the empty cross. They need to see him, how he suffered. Well, you make a good point, Eleanor. Uh, our Protestant brothers and sisters... Uh, often, not all of them, but the vast majority of them, do have the corpus, that is the body of Christ, the corpus off the cross in their churches. And this is because 
there is an extraordinary, simply meaning outside the ordinary, there is an extraordinary focus, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, there's an extraordinary focus on the resurrection of Christ. He is no longer on the cross, and indeed he isn't. But we need to remember that he does bear his wounds still from the cross, and they're transfigured, glorified wounds. Uh, the book of Revelation, the book of the Apocalypse, is clear about that. Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas teaches that, that Christ chose to continue to bear his wounds in a glorified, transfigured state, seated at the right hand of the Father, to remind the saved what they believed in when he died for them, and simultaneously to, to upbraid that is, chastise, to upbraid the reprobates, the damned, to serve as a constant reminder of what they rejected, what he did for them. So this is why he chose to retain his, his wounds in a transfigured, glorified state. Again, the book of Reve Revelation is clear that Christ still bears his wounds. He chose to continue to bear them uh, following his resurrection from the dead, to serve as a constant reminder for the saved in heaven what they embraced in what he did for them, but at the same time, simultaneously, to upbraid or chastise the reprobates, that is, the damned in hell, to serve as a constant reminder of what they themselves so wickedly rejected of what Christ did for them. So if he's got his wounds, I think it's important, especially in this earthly state when we still suffer the effects of the original sin, uh, the two chief effects of which uh, is a darkened intellect and a weakened will, when before the fall of our first parents, we had an enlightened intellect and a strengthened will. Uh, but after the fall of our first parents, the enlightened intellect became darkened and the strengthened will became weakened. Uh, we have suffering, we have uh, illness, and, and it's good to be able to unite one's sufferings and illnesses while looking at the cross, while looking at the crucifix, indeed. And this is why I said earlier in the springboard topic, when we came back from the first break, the, looking at a crucifix reminds us, Eleanor, of his supreme sacrifice, of his supreme victory, of his supreme love. And if you weren't with us at the very beginning of the show, Eleanor, I would encourage you to listen to the first uh, uh, 15 to 20 minutes or so, especially when we come after the first break at, at 11 or 12 minutes, uh, when I talk about how this, the crucifix specifically shows us and tells us about Christ's supreme sacrifice, his supreme victory, and his supreme love for us. Uh, and so I think it's a good thing both to uh, uh, worship the God-man Jesus Christ, the second person of the Most Holy Trinity incarnate, uh, both indeed as a resurrected God-man, but also a suffering God-man, which, for example, the book of Isaiah in chapters 52 and 54 uh, tell us so readily about what's called the suffering servant, the suffering servant. So thank you, uh, Eleanor, for a, a great insight there that you shared with us. God bless you now. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? I certainly will, Jack. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of our Open Line Tuesday listeners and remain with each and every one of you this day and always, especially throughout the 50-day Easter season, St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Pray for us on behalf of our host, Father Wade Menezes, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener Matt Kubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in. Back at it tomorrow with Father Mitch Paqua on EWTN's Open Line Wednesday. Until then, God bless.